Key Economic Releases Affecting Fixed Income Yields Insights into Sectors Influencing Fixed Income Securities How AAM Plans to Capitalize on These Themes for Your Fixed Income Portfolio The Portfolio Fix is a podcast series featuring members of AAM's investment and portfolio management team. We will discuss the timely issues affecting the fixed income investments of our insurance clients. Welcome to another episode of the Portfolio Fix, a podcast series from AAM. My name is Patrick McGeever, and I'm a member of AAM's investment team. Today, I'll be joined by Elizabeth Henderson, who recently participated in a Moody's Corporate Credit and Risk Roundtable discussion. She'll give us an overview of that discussion, and then we'll talk about the current environment in the oil and gas market. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me. Yeah, sure. Um, to those of you that might not be familiar with Elizabeth, she heads up the corporate credit group at AAM, is a member of the outsourced CIO committee, and is responsible for the analysis of the telecom and media industries. So with that out of the way, Elizabeth, um, tell us a little bit about this Moody's conference that you attended and participated in. Yeah, it was a it was a conference that was hosted by their economic and analytics groups, um, and they wanted a practitioner to sit on the panel to kind of round the panel out. Uh, and it was an interesting headline and kind of a, keeping it simple, uh, which I know we kind of appreciate. And that is simply what market is right: the Treasury curve because it's inverted, and being a good predictor of recessions, or the credit markets uh, since. Both the high yield and investment grade credit spreads are uh, inside their long term average. Um, so they had me speak to that as well as the, the folks from Moody's that focus on these markets. And effectively, um, what we came to was uh, more siding uh, uh, with the credit markets. Um, the folks from Moody's talked about the Treasury curve and what could be influencing that between um, QE, other technical issues, as well as this forward guidance. Um, from the Fed, so they talked through that, but then recognizing that uh, at least from Moody's standpoint, um, that the pr- recession probability over the next 12 months uh, is somewhere between 30 to 45 percent, so certainly mm-hmm. not off the hook. Um, I talked about uh, our credit outlook uh, and talking about risks and um, and and other issues that we see, but overall uh, more comfortable in terms of uncertainties today than we were last year when credit spreads were elevated. So uh, we talked through that. The one interesting thing I thought that really came through listening to all of us speaking was uh, was the they do a lot of um, default forecasting, of course, being Moody's, mm-hmm. and not only in high yield and investment grade, but in other markets in the private debt market as well. And that's something that everyone talks about being kind of a black box. Uh, so I thought it was interesting to hear uh, those conversations and, and what they talked about, which is what I would say we would agree with, is that fundamentals in the high yield and the investment grade markets are really supporting uh, a lower or uh, more of like a historic default type of forecast depending on your economic inputs. Mm-hmm. Um, not something that's really like reflecting a hard landing or a really hard recession. So um, what they're saying is that those two markets look like they're fairly strong. Um, however, this private debt market is the one that they see causing more 
of the challenges. And that's something that, you know, in our in our meetings, we talk a lot about that. And that's been kind of one of our number one risk factors, um, especially with rates staying higher. Uh, the one thing that we did talk about was that uh, this year, what we've really seen is capital supporting those deals. Um, a lot of investors still feeling comfortable with those markets and the lenders feeling comfortable with their underlying credits because they view it as more of a, a capital structure challenge uh, with doing those striking those deals at much lower interest rates, not a company fundamental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what you know came through in this conversation. And I think that's what uh, as we look into next year, what we're really needing to continue to rely on, because, of course, uh, it's not going to get easier for a lot of uh, uh, these portfolios next year with interest coverage ratios coming down, even uh, especially like in those unit tranche deals. So um, we need to have the economy continue to be healthy enough to support the fundamentals uh, so uh, you know, capital can keep going into that space to support those deals. And you have the lenders that are able to continue to kind of work through these uh, issues and restructure these loans. So it was a, you know, really good conversation, but I'd say at the end of the day, um, everyone feeling uh, comfortable enough, although certainly highlighting risks, which I think, you know, when you talk about recession probabilities, 30 to 45% certainly uh, kind of makes that point. Mm-hmm. And I would say the one thing that, uh, and since we're, we're talking, I thought uh, I'd ask you their number one risk. Um, was actually energy prices and and staying above 90. So I thought um, that would be a good question kind of for us to talk about in terms of uh, what do you what do you think has been behind the rise uh, in oil prices over the past month? And is that something that's going to be here for a while? Sure. So um, I agree that it's a risk. And there's been a lot of talk lately uh, from a number of brokerages that have come out with their estimates for 2024, calling for oil above $100 a barrel. Um, But I think right now what we're seeing is demand exceeding supply by about 2 million barrels per day. And that's largely a function of OPEC plus keeping about a million and a half, 2 million barrels per day off the market. Um, Demand remains robust, so that supports the the argument that you and Moody's just made about a healthy economy. Uh, Two million barrels per day is, is, uh, of growth is, is very healthy, especially when you consider what's happened in China over the past year. Um, I think one of the items that the market's very focused on right now is inventory. And if you look at inventory levels, both worldwide and here in the U.S., they are near their five-year lows. And so that is supportive of higher oil prices. But something that I take comfort in is the fact that excess production capacity from OPEC is about six six million barrels per day. And that is a historically high level. And as a result of that, I don't think oil will sustainably go above $90, $100 per barrel. I think there would be a response from from OPEC and certainly a response from those countries that are big buyers of crude oil like India and China. So I, I think most of the upside risked prices 
is already priced in. I don't see too many catalysts that could lead us to $120, $150 oil. Uh, so what does that mean for gasoline and diesel prices? And is there anything unique about the fundamentals compared to the pre-COVID days? Sure. So uh, this is the, the part of the energy equation that's really interesting to me right now. You've got refineries running at near full capacity, both here in the U.S. and internationally. Uh, Europe is the one area that's, that's showing some weakness, and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, demand is just okay relative to historical standards. We see gasoline demand uh, above 2022 levels, but still not at pre-COVID levels. And that's the same thing with distillate. Uh, but the problem is with inventory. And we see that um, gasoline inventories, both here in the U.S. and internationally, is just okay. Uh, but diesel inventories are well below where they historically have been. And this is a problem caused almost exclusively by the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the policy response. So European refineries, remember I said that they're not running at full capacity. The reason they're not is because they're not cost competitive. The input costs for refineries include natural gas and electricity. And those costs in Europe are much higher than they are internationally. So um, they're not running at full capacity. And secondly, there's a ban in place uh, for uh, refined product that's originating from Russia going into EU. So that's not allowed right now. Therefore, Europe is very dependent on imports from areas like India and China and increasingly in the U.S. So as a result, despite relatively low demand, exports to substitute for those Russian refined products is keeping inventory at other places low. And so that's that's supportive of higher gasoline and uh, diesel prices, at least right now. Okay, so do you believe these conditions will contribute to inflation like it did in 2021 and last year? Well, I think the quick answer is no. Um, just looking at personal consumption expenditures, PCE, that's the preferred measure of inflation for the Fed. Um, gasoline and diesel definitely contributed to the lion's share of inflation for non-durable goods in both 21 and 2022. In 2021, the base effect of 2020, which we experienced the economic shutdown. So the base effect of that year led to energy energy-related inflation in 2021. In 2022, the effect of the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the policy response led to inflation that year. In 2023, though, there's actually been deflation, and that's due to the base effects of 2022. So given our outlook for oil and gasoline and diesel, we don't think energy will be a meaningful contributor to inflation, especially for 2024. Even in a $100 oil environment, we think it only will contribute less than two-tenths of a percent to core PCE. That's great. Um, 
it's uh, as we saw last year, it certainly can have unintended consequences. So that's good to hear. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so what then? Yeah, what can alleviate? Do you think the tight conditions you were talking about in the gasoline and diesel markets is that going to be something we're going to be living with for a while? Well, I think there's a couple things that might alleviate those problems. First, um, European refiners could they become more cost competitive? Uh, I don't see that taking place in the near term. Secondly, would the EU lift their ban on Russian imports of refined products? Again, that does not seem likely in the near term. Would there, could we see more refining capacity come online? Uh, well, that's not going to happen in the next quarter, but we will see incremental more supply from China in 2024 in India in 2025. Those are more intermediate term uh, solutions. I think the most likely item that could loosen these conditions a little bit is just see weaker demand from higher prices. And I think we should see that occur. In fact, when you look at refining margins, also known as crack spreads, uh, we're seeing them decline by about 33% this month. So uh, I think I think we will see looser conditions as we head into 2024. And that I think that's supportive of our argument that we won't see transportation fuels contributing meaningfully to inflation in the upcoming year. That's good. And... Uh, maybe just one last uh, question. Uh, I I think both of us have been doing this long enough to know that mm -hmm. every cycle is unique and different. And this one certainly is no exception, hearing what you're talking about in terms of fundamentals. And I know uh, something that's been unique as well. It, it, and I know in times past when we're talking about recession probabilities and kind of the 30 to 45 percent range, we get more concerned about deep cyclical companies like the commodities uh, companies um, because of the effect that commodity prices can really have on on leverage. So I'm just curious, you know, what how you're thinking about all of this uh, in terms of investment opportunities in the energy space uh, going forward. Sure. Uh, the the entire energy space has dramatically improved their balance sheet over the past four or five years uh, with the obviously the the overinvestment that took place in the earlier part of last decade and the the crisis that took place in 2016 and then the covid related issues uh, that caused just about every energy company to get new religion and focus on the balance sheet so um, the total amount of debt outstanding for these companies is is much smaller than it was before. So they can withstand lower commodity prices. Even if we were to go below $70 per barrel for several quarters, I would not expect there to be any type of rating actions. You might see some weakness in bond prices, but I wouldn't expect there to be um, wholesale rating changes like, in, like we experienced in 2016 and 2020. Uh, and that's reflected right now in the spread environment. When we look at these subsectors relative to industrials, they all seem relatively expensive. 
uh, the one subsector that probably is providing the most value relative to industrials is the high quality integrateds, and that's considered low beta by us. The subsectors providing the least value right now are the high beta refiners and oil field services. So I would say that right now we're not broadly buying energy issues, but we are selectively still buying new issues at screen cheap, and we're swapping out of names that have outperformed uh, the market in recent weeks. All right, that's great. Thanks, Pat. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably a a good place for us to wrap up. Um, Thank you for talking to us about the Moody's Conference, Elizabeth. Of course, we want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to our podcast. If you have any questions, please reach out to your portfolio manager or our marketing team at aamcompany.com. During our next podcast, I'll be joined by Marco and a member of our investment team to discuss a timely issue affecting the fixed income markets. Thanks.